Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight Podcast. If you ever wanted to make a podcast, well, Spotify's got a platform that makes that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for, for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from the phone or computer. Uh, so no matter what uh, your setup is like, you can uh, start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And uh, if you like my show, Fence Post Politics with my buddy Aaron, that's the place to watch it because it's all video all the time. And we uh, like we share videos, we comment on videos, we share news articles and uh, and funny memes. So um, it's pretty cool. Um, and also, if you want to take your conversations to uh, with your fans to the next level, uh, your question and answer answer and polls are the best way to get them talking you can attach that to your your podcast there and, and you get your you get you know valuable interactions with your fan your fans and uh <clears throat> with spotify for podcasters you can earn money in a variety of ways including ads and podcast subscriptions and best of all it's totally free with no catch and that's uh that that is true um, <laughs> supposed to do a testimonial here, um, but anyways, this is the the podcast I use or the podcast uh host that I use. I like Spotify. They're uh they're very good on just letting you do your thing, uh with uh with no catch to it. Uh, there's a good reason why Joe Rogan hosts podcasts on Spotify and, and this is uh this is a great way to get started if you if you've ever thought about starting a podcast this is where I would send anybody to go um <clears throat> best thing you can do is just download the Spotify for podcasters app or you can go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started and yeah if you've ever thought about just doing a podcast or if you're tired of paying a monthly service that uh, doesn't seem to do much for you, Spotify podcasters is your spot. So uh, go to spotify.com slash podcasters or download the app today. The only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. Um, welcome back to the show. Hope you had a good weekend. <clears throat> we got a special guest today. You may have uh, seen some of his work. He's uh, fairly active in the cowboy groups on Facebook. And uh, 
helped put together one of the best uh, documentary uh, films that I've seen on on the life of the working cowboy. It's called Cowboys: A Documentary Portrait. I did a whole review on it on this show, John. I'll, if I if I can find the link, I'll send it to you. Maybe you'll you can tell me what I got wrong on it. But my my biggest uh, I guess criticism of it was uh, it wasn't long enough. And uh, if that's the only criticism I've got for it, I'd say you did a pretty good job. So, uh, John, welcome to the show. Appreciate you joining me today. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to pleasure to be here. Thanks for the yes, kind sir. words about the film. You bet. Um, I, I've I've seen your stuff. You're you're a heck of a, of a photographer, and it seems like you've been around kind of everywhere. It, se- it seems like you uh, you're, you're an avid motorcycle rider too. It seems like. Yeah, of late I am. Yeah, no, I and I'm. There's like no doubt in my mind that it's sort of a a surrogate for horse riding for me, and that's why I like it. You know, something between your legs that's moving you forward, and you're kind of out. You, you know, you feel the wind against your face and you feel the change in temperature and you smell things and you just sort of feel connected to the countryside you're moving through. And it's like that, you know, it's filling the need that I have because I don't get to ride as often as I'd like living in a city. Yeah, I bet. So we were talking just here earlier. Um, you're, you're, at, you're at Austin, Texas, which is always, I mean, it's, keep Austin weirds have been a thing for as long as I can remember. Um, but it seems like it, it got real weird here in the last, uh, last several years, but, uh, in a different kind of way. But, um, I think you kind of got to have those weird places in, you know, throughout the, the country to that from the weird places comes a lot of the, the cool stuff that we, that we get to enjoy, you know? Yeah. No, and as you and I were kind of talking about, um, you know, Austin's not what it was in the 70s or 80s. It's like a completely different place. But, uh, you know, it still turned into something overall good. It, like any big, bigger city, it's got its issues and you got to get out every so often. And, you know, if I'm not headed out for a branding somewhere along the year, you know, I would definitely go insane. But there are aspects of living in a city I, I certainly enjoy as long as I can leave it when i want yeah absolutely i uh i i thought the same thing when i when i lived up in in fort collins which is you know that's a that's a pretty small town but uh i mean city-wise anyways but coming for me i i came i lived 20 miles south of a town of about three or four hundred people went to you know graduated high school with 19 including me in my class and and then i go to you know a city of 150,000 and that seemed massive. I mean, it's uh it's a little bit of a culture shock, but it's uh you also had a one of the one of the better music scenes I've I've been around. You know, they had a they really catered to the Texas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, kind of kind of the Austin scene that that as they expanded throughout the country, that kind of red dirt Texas scene really had a big impact in Fort Collins and uh and, and that that was nice because you don't get that in these little bitty towns. Every now and then you might have a a little band blow through town, but not very often. And uh, and that there's just certain things about living in the city. There there is some some definite benefit, but I uh, I also like to look around and not see anybody too. Yep, yep. No, it's it's hard to have both. Um, you know, and I've I've kind of in my mind struck sort of a perfect balance. I know a you know a lot of guys out on ranches and 
You know, I could go to branding every year if I want, so I can get away when I need to. But at the same time, you know, I go here 10 or 15 great shows in Austin every year, you know, and I thoroughly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, there, there's definitely, you know, we, he still, we still have him lives right around the corner. I, uh, one of my favorite memes I've ever seen, it was just a picture of Willie Nelson. And it said, uh, one of these days, the, these kids are going to have to look around and see what kind of world do they want me. And, uh, um, Keith Richards to live in <laughs> down the road because I think I think he's almost in the- exactly those two will never die where they'll outlive <laughs> all of us no doubt about I know it. I always said I hope uh, I hope Willie dies on stage you know just just ripping a, just ripping a big heater yeah. singing uh, you know blue eyes crying in the rain or something and just croak mid sentence you know that I guarantee you he will man that is that guy is still you know he performs all the time and. Uh, I'm, it's funny. I've made that joke a million times that he's definitely going to croak on stage. I, I think that's the only way he can do it is just yep. that. Yep. And uh, I, I feel like uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott's going to be the same way. He's going to yeah. like, he's going to just croak mid story with somebody yeah, that he exactly. met. <laughs> and uh, be. exactly, it's that's the way it should be. And uh, like Boots O'Neill, he's he's probably going to get bucked off on his head and and break his neck one of these days, and uh, and I don't think he'd rather go out any other way. So you know that story about Boots, where when we went and interviewed him for the film, he had uh, he had been bucked off. I can't remember the name of a horse, not too long beforehand, mm-hmm. and uh, the horse came back to the barn without him. And so of course everybody got, you know, really worried. And this isn't that long ago, you know, Boots was well in his eighties at that point. And so they went and found him out in the pasture and he had a bunch of broken ribs and was pretty busted up. And he, he told them, just leave me here. You know, this is like, <laughs> I'm done, you know, just leave me here. I'm fine. And they were like, hell no, we're not leaving you here, Booch. You know, we're going to get you out of here. And they, you know, he healed up fine. And he was still riding that horse that bucked him off when we interviewed him for the film. So, I, you, you know, I suspect you're probably right that that guy, he's going to go a horseback the way Willie's going to go on stage. Well, I think so. He, uh, he actually just, um, broke his leg earlier this uh, last fall. He got bucked oh, off. And, yeah, he broke his femur about a, I think he oh. said it was about an inch above his uh, knee that had been replaced. So they couldn't really do surgery on it. So they just had him in kind of a, not not so much a cast, but like a brace. And he uh, he was he was in pretty rough shape there for a little bit because he had to oh, he had to lay yeah. down. I had some pneumonia because of that, but he's he's back a horseback now. Oh, okay, huh? I hadn't heard that. And we um, screened the film, and Booth and several guys from the film came out in Lubbock. Uh, I can't remember when that was. I bet it's been, you know, nine, ten months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and of course he was doing fine. Tom Morehouse was there. Uh, Jeff Bilberry. Yeah, no, so I that this is the first I've heard that um he got in another horse accident and broke his leg. Well, I'm not surprised he's already riding again. That guy, 
he's something else. I yeah, they broke the mold on boots, that's for sure. They really did. I I had a chance to uh, go down and because I had a bunch of people uh, request to have him on the show, and and so I I did a couple phone interviews with him, but I I was able to go down to the sixes and and meet him and it's really cool that I got to, we kind of got to be buddies. And, and so I, I try to call him once a week and, and he's just, uh, he's quite the guy, you know, just, he's, he's something else. He's, he's got a wealth of knowledge and I always tell people he's kind of like the, he's like the cowboy Forrest Gump, except he's not retarded, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah. but he's, he's seen just about everything. You know, he tells that story his first, paying cowboy job they just dumped him off at the rim of the paladura canyon he waited there for a couple hours for somebody to come get him and then uh you know then he didn't live inside at all for like the next 10 years or so (laughs) and it was just he told us those stories yeah i know there's some i mean you know it's definitely from a different era of cowboying you know he's sort of a um a link back to and there's not that many of them left you know there are a Mm -hmm. few back to sort of those you know, earlier days when cowboying on those big outfits was really kind of done differently. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I, I've, uh, I've never really worked on a, on a real big outfit. I, I worked on a place up in Montana that, that ran, uh, maybe 3000 head of mama cows. I mean, it was so fairly good size, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything like the wine cup or the sixes or the, you know, the, the Wagners or the JAs or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a fairly it was a fairly small outfit compared to some of those, but um, so I never got to to you know to go cowboy on the wagon. But we I kind of grew up in in farmer country too, so we didn't. Our one of our biggest pastures, I think that that I worked was was only about a thousand acres, and then you you get out into the the public land stuff, and it's hundred thousand thousand yeah. acres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which is the beauty of those big Northern Nevada outfits, you know, they may not run on that much deeded land, but you know, you put that BLM land in and, you know, you can ride all day without seeing a fence, which is, you know, one of the greatest things you can do cowboy. Um, oh, it really is. I, I, I had a, I, I guess I was lucky enough to grow up like right on the edge of that, that BLM stuff. You know, if you went just West of where I grew up, uh, then you got into like, you know, where picture Canyon Colorado is. No. Okay. It's so it, it's kind of in that three corners area where the uh, Oklahoma Panhandle and New Mexico and Colorado all meet. And there's uh, it's not it's not mountain country, but it's canyon country. And uh, yeah. and it's it just you you'd be driving across the prairie, and then all of a sudden it drops down about three hundred foot into and sandstone and cedar canyons, and it's <clears throat> it's just incredible to like because you, you go from just flat. Well, you know, the, the old joke, you can watch your dog run away for three days and to, and to, to some pretty tough country, you know, it's pretty like, it's pretty tough country. And, and you can, and a lot of that stuff is, is BLM country. And, and it's not near as big as like when you get into Western Colorado and Utah and Nevada, but there's still some pretty, pretty good sized parcels through there that, that a guy can go, go ride and not see a whole lot of fences, but it's, uh, it's still nothing like, like the, the Great Basin stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, those those are those outfits are unique, no no doubt about it. You know, and have bred kind of a unique breed of cowboy or buckaroo up there as well. 
really self, uh, self-reliant, um, just, yeah, kind of, kind of handy at everything too. Not only that's are they really in general, like that's yeah. something I've always, you know, I've noted that same thing and something I've always admired. And like, it was an area of cowboy and there's plenty of them, but it was one where I was deficient. You know, I wasn't as self-reliant as those guys that, you know, spent their whole life cowboying and obviously by necessity, I mean, you wouldn't last out there, you know, 25 miles from the nearest town. If you couldn't figure out how to get stuff done yourself. Mm-hmm. It seems like every, every one of those guys out here, they either, they build their own leather stuff, they braid, they, uh, exactly. you know, they weld, they do. Um, and I, I've got a, you know, a handful of skills that I can do, you know, relatively well but mostly like my my skill comes from reading cattle and and sorting and and you know identifying sickness but there's i i always think i could probably hold my own on just about any outfit i won't ever be the 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 top hand out there but i I probably won't be in the way too much but uh some of those guys are just it's incredible to watch them work and then i'll just all the all the stuff that they can do is uh it's pretty pretty incredible yeah no it's it's yeah no it's something to watch a really top hand you know and then of course there's like some that are great with horses some that are good at roping you know some that Mm -hmm. are good sorting cows or whatever and you know like a real top hand kind of is good at all that stuff Uh, yeah no i've always always greatly admired um those guys and so enjoyed working around them um, yeah no it's just i'm like you i was i was never going to be a top hand i was competent you know um could help get the job done uh but yeah no watching those guys is a, it's it's a treat um, it really is um so so where whereabouts did you come from originally <laughs> yeah it's um I uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas, believe it or not. Um, You know, my dad was a photographer and he did a book on the working cowboy back in 1975. Okay. His his grandfather was a Teddy Roosevelt rough rider and was a a cowboy in the West, out West of the U S but a lot down in uh, central and South America worked on some big ranches. They're kind of a, odd strange story but so my dad kind of had this cowboy bug and then he went and did that book and he he got to know some ranchers and I was fascinated by cowboys you know largely based on his stories and then of course Will James books and uh, Mm -hmm. and then when I was 12 my dad you know sent me a postcard saying I met this rancher named Benny Binion and um, if you want a cowboy he says he'll give you a job for the summer. So after sixth grade, I uh, went to Binion's and spent that first summer there. And then after that, for the next uh, 11 summers, you know, I'd go out with a wagon the first half of the summer and then go back to Binion's the second half of the summer. And, you know, did that, uh, you know, through college and into my first year of law school. And, uh, and then I put it on ice until I returned to it all to, to work on the book my own book and mm-hmm. you know, kind of where my dad left off. So yeah, that was sort of how I came to it all. Uh, well, did you finish law school? I think you did, right? I did. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, did you, it was did you practice or? Yeah, I did. Uh, 
Yeah, no, the end of my cowboy career was after my first year of law school, I went out with a padlock wagon the first half of that summer and came back and worked for a law firm in San Antonio the second half, you know, and the pay disparity between the two was pretty apparent when you did did them back to back. And that was, I was like, ah, if you're going to go to school, you probably ought to, you know, pursue being a lawyer. And so, yeah, I did. I went to work for a big law firm in DC and then I went to work for Caterpillar, the, you know, the big earth moving equipment for 11 yeah. years. And they moved me all around the world and, you know, cowboying just faded to the background. I stayed in touch with some friends, but hardly ever went to a ranch. I did a couple of brandings over all those years. And, uh, and then I got serious about my own photography when I left Caterpillar for the sake of moving back to Austin and pretty quickly on started thinking about, you know, projects that I would do that, that had the potential to turn into books. And one of the first ones that came to mind was, you know, doing one on cowboys. And a, I will say a big part of it was just for the sake of me being able to um, get back out to ranches. And so just, I, it, I told my wife, it's funny. I told my wife, Hey, here's, I've got this idea that I want to do a book on cowboys and I want to go out for two weeks and come home for three over the course of a year. And that's what I'll do to complete the book. And I thought she was on board for that idea. And then a friend of ours had dinner with Erica, my wife and called me and said, John, she will leave you if you do that. And our boys were both pretty young at the time. <laughs> I had completely misread my wife. Uh, so I kind of did a reset on that and um, came back and said, well, what if I go out for 10 days, four times a year and, uh, you know, take three years to do the book? Because I had the idea of going to 12 big outfits, you know, and I definitely was going to be focused on the big outfits. And she was like, I can live with that. Um, so that was kind of how it started and had a funny story getting back in touch with the Spanish ranch where I had worked, you know, in my earlier days. And that was the first one I went to and, um, you know, just kind of rolled on from there. It was, you know, is everything you dream. It was just kind of an excuse to go to every kind of great outfit I ever wanted to visit. Um, yeah, that, no, that's awesome. Cool. I've, I've kind of got a same you know, wild, wild hair at my ass to do something of the similar deal, but instead of photography and writing, do it in podcast form and kind of do like a, yeah. like a documentary series. I, I mean, I'd like very much inspired by, by the, the, the documentary that y'all did. I mean, I'm, I, I wouldn't, I had the idea before I saw your film, but I was like, no, that's how it should be done. Like if we're, if we're going to document the cowboy, that's, that's the best I've seen <clears throat> seen it done uh, in in all all the films that that I've seen, and I was like, you guys you guys really nailed uh, like not only the romance of of cowboying because there is a lot of that to it, but yeah, yeah. but most of it is it's boredom throughout the day, you know, <clears throat> boredom. But you're also on edge all the time, especially if you're like you're riding young horses, you you can't let your guard down for very long or you can get in a, in a real pickle. And yep. so you're, you're, you're a mixture of like boredom and adrenaline kind of all the time. Uh, on, yep. on, and it's, uh, 
I, I thought you guys really captured the, the kind of the essence of what what cowboy life is, uh, <clears throat> and or at least in a way that I hadn't haven't seen anybody else do it, um, you know, before. Yeah, no, and I I appreciate that, and that was certainly you know me and Bud that was our intention going into it was, <clears throat> you know, the word we you know used most was authentic. You know, we wanted mm-hmm. it to be an authentic film about the working cowboy, and so like. You know, these cowboys sit around in bunk houses and they watch Westerns and they love to pick them apart. You know, yep. if you've ever done like every little thing that's wrong, you know, oh, it's a different gray horse than that guy was riding last time. And, you know, the hell bitch is actually there. a gilding. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so our notion was don't want there to be a single thing in there that the guys in the bunkhouse, you know, can pick apart. And there might be one or two of the tiniest little things, and I know where they are, but they are, you know, minor in the grand scheme of things. So that was really the notion behind it. And it's like, I hope the outside world appreciates it, um, you know, to really get a chance to kind of see. And obviously we focused on the big outfits, you know, even though those smaller outfits are every bit as authentic, you know, do the same kind of work. It was just, you know, we focused in on kind of the subculture of the big outfit cowboy. But, um, you know, our the audience was the cowboy world like that. Mm-hmm. They would that they would watch it and say, yeah, you know, you, this is this is what our life is all about. And like that, certainly for me, because, you know, that's the world I grew up in. Like, that's what mattered. Um, well, I, I can tell you there is like certain. The, the the fella from the YP was was just an excellent interview. I mean, he he was just a very compelling character. But but there was right. one scene, right. and I thought you guys really, you know, and I'm no filmmaker by any means, but it was just I I, I say this because it's it's still just I can see it clear as day in my head. I believe it was the outfit over in Oregon, but there was a an Indian kid riding a, a paint horse that bust into. And I was like, uh, you kn- was it on the Spanish? Okay. And it was just the, the perfect essence of like the young working cowboy. Uh, Cause like you didn't have the dramatic music in, and like a slow, like freeze frame. No, you just let, let it play out. And that kid bucks back and forth. And every time you see, he's got a big grin on his face and he's talking shit to his buddies as he bucks by him, you know? And I was like, that's cowboy shit there. That, yeah. <laughs> that is like the essence of cowboy shit. Yeah, no, that's uh, Junior. That's Junior Harney. Okay. His dad's a well-known buckaroo, Woody Harney. Mm-hmm. When I went to the TS for the book, uh, Woody was the buckaroo boss on the TS. And then I can't remember where I first met Junior. It might have been on the Spanish ranch, but Woody and Junior were both working there. And, you know, they're interviewed side by side, father and son. Yeah. Later. And, uh, yeah, no, Junior, he's... Re- like, I don't know if he's calmed down. I haven't seen Junior for a couple of years now, but uh, he definitely one of those, you know, buckaroos with a real wild hair. And, you know, he loved riding bucking horses. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, no, he's a great guy as well. And one of those, you know, great Indians off the res that, um, you know, he could ride, he could rope. He was just a good hand all the way around. And, uh, yeah, just knew, just knew the yeah. knew the job and did it well. Like, yeah, yeah, no, good a, guy, Junior and Woody both. 
that's that's yeah that was a really cool scene i was like now that that's as cowboy as it gets because it wasn't there wasn't anything dramatic about it it was just <clears throat> you know he's he's uh he's sitting up there like he belonged there gave that horse's head and then just was just chirping at <laughs> at everybody else as he <laughs> as he bucked in front of him that's that's perfect yeah now every every guy that's ever worked on you know work and ranch certainly those big outfits has seen that scene a hundred times you know where like all right i'm riding the green horse in my string this morning you know let's get it over with first thing um which is exactly what he was doing yep yeah we we were i was talking with a a buddy the other day and we we were kind of kind of going over that same thing it's just like part of part of horsemanship and and animal handling like it's always you always want to do the least amount of stress but like regardless of how good you are there's always some stress on on your your animals so it's it's not no stress it's low stress and and sometimes the lowest amount of stress is just like i know we're gonna have a fight today so let's get it over right now because we got shit to do and uh and that that's that's the thinking behind it and and a lot a lot of times us us guys in the cowboy world will get uh, you know looked down upon for the the horsemanship side of things and like yeah okay but you people don't actually work on a horse like you, you go to shows and stuff or you rodeo or, or whatever or you go on trail rides no like we're we're using this animal to get a job done and we do that every day and yeah. uh, so it's a different type of horsemanship but it's horsemanship just the same yeah, no, it's funny. I can't hardly ride a horse if it's not, you know, towards accomplishing a task. So a friend invited me out to ride here just the other week. It's the first time I've probably ever ridden in Austin. And it was just kind of wandering around in a pasture. And I, you know, it was just had almost zero appeal to me. Like, mm-hmm. if there's not a purpose to my riding, I, I just doesn't hold any interest um you know and i think if you've cowboyed and a horse is part of getting a job done and moving cows and you know whatever else or even if you're just covering country you're going somewhere where there's a purpose at the end of it because i do love trotting out in the morning you know it's like yeah. my favorite part of the day but you know it, there's still a purpose to your riding i just i you know i can't hardly do it otherwise I agree. I got I, same conversation as me and Tommy Gassell. We're, we're talking and that's same way. I just, like, I don't ride for pleasure anymore. You know, like it's, if, if I'm not, if I'm not doing a job, I mean, I could be on a day off or whatever and have somebody be like, Hey, you want to go gather a couple cows? Fuck. Yes, I will. I, you know, I'm, I work in a feedlot. So like anytime I get a chance to get outside and do a job is, is great. But I, when I can go in in the desert, it's to put miles on my horses anymore. Like that's uh, that once I once I ride out the feedlot gate, it, it's, I'm not doing it for fun. It's to uh, it's to put an attitude adjustment on a uh, you know get a little reset on my horse's head. And yeah. Yeah. which is riding with a purpose to me, you know, yeah. even though you're not feeding cows, like there's a reason you're riding this horse. Yeah, but if somebody says, "Do you want to go on a ride Saturday?" no not really i'd uh yeah, no, me either I, I i don't i mean i did it and i i knew i wasn't really gonna like it. i mean of course i'm throwing my saddle on the back of a horse and you're swinging into the saddle and you know you move I mean, that part's nice but it's just and that fades so quickly and it's funny i feel the same way on my motorcycle like these people will go on a day ride for the mm-hmm. sake of riding your motorcycle around 
if I'm not going on a long trip with some kind of destination, it just, you know, it doesn't need to be anywhere with a purpose, but you've got some destination, you know, like on a longer trip. I have the same feeling, like just going on a joy ride doesn't appeal to me that much. And I know it's because it's transitioned over. I feel the same way about motorcycles as I do about horses. You know, I just need some purpose to it. It's um, yeah, as much as I enjoy riding a motorcycle or just riding a horse like the physical act of it. If it's not coupled with a purpose that just loses something that's unappealing. Well, yeah, and 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 part of that goes back to my my horses is like my they got a job just as as much as I do, and we're we're doing that job together. Yeah. And if we're not like if it's not a, a Brandon pin or or a roping or something, they they need a day off just as much as I do. And if 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 I'm just riding them to ride them, that's it. Just seems it seems wasteful. You know, it's, it's putting extra miles on a horse that don't need to be there. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it in, of it in terms of, you know, what they want. It's just like, for me, it doesn't yeah. appeal. Well, but obviously, you get these ranch horses, you know, they aren't interested in just wandering around either. You know, they want to work every bit as much as a cowboy mm. does. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the more you ride them, the more more wear you put on them. I mean, it's, it's just the same as riding a, riding a motorcycle. Just with every mile comes, um, you know, a little more wear. And... Yeah, if if they're if you're using them to get a job done, like use them to get the job done, and then let them have their time off. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a really a crazy history and just a wild lifestyle, and it, it's been it's been said I think probably since the first Spaniards brought cattle over to the Americas. Uh, you know, like that working cattle a horseback was that was a dying breed because there was technology was always advancing, you know, and they were, you know, there was something that always was changing. They're like, pretty soon you won't, these cowboys won't be needed. And, uh, I don't know if you'll ever really get rid of a, a guy, a horseback working cows. I, I think that's always gonna, I don't know where it'll, where, what the, the ranch type setting will be, uh, in the, in the future, but I, I, I don't, I think the cow and the horse are, are almost um, there. You know, you can't, you can't tear them apart uh, anymore. I mean, once, once a, a, a guy figured out how to work a cow a horseback like that, that's it. That's the best way to do it. I mean, I, you know, I have spent so many hours thinking about, you know, the longevity of the cowboy and, you know, the all the predictions of the demise of, you know, the horseback cowboy. I mean, you think about it, you know, after the trail drives, mm -hmm. they said that's it, you know, the working cowboy horsebacks, <sighs> yeah, you know, the invention of barbed wire, they're dead, you know, uh, and, and it was, there's always kind of the next thing that was going to, kill them you know yeah, and, the bumper and pool always, trailer. yeah I, I mean so here's here's my take on it you know and it's somewhat consistent with yours um you know and again and i've watched it now like basically through a generation start when i was 12 i'm 60 now you know so that's 48 years of having kind of watched the cowboy world and there have been some changes like there is no doubt about it. And some of them 
I, um, you know, I lament like, so there's still big outfits, you know, that run, let's call it five to 10 or 11,000 mother cows Mm -hmm. and require a full crew of horseback cowboys to get the work done, you know, to do all the cycle of getting through a cow from, you know, birth to the market. And um, there's probably like, we've lost a few big outfits over the years because they get busted up, you know, and the family, you you know, the person that kept it together dies and the kids sell it off, but not that many. And Mm -hmm. there's a couple that have been put together since then, like Singleton's is a classic example. You know, it's up around a million acres, not all contiguous. And uh, Henry Singleton started putting that together in our lifetime, you know, but there's obviously there's not many big outfits being assembled. So, I mean, there's still a lot of places running that many cows on big open country, a full crew of horseback cowboys. And to what you said, like, when it comes to these big outfits, there is no better way to gather and work a big group of cows and doing it a horseback because a horse has the same ability that a cow does, you know, and a cow doesn't want you steering its destiny towards a feedlot and ultimately, you know, a packing plant. So it's, it's going to, you know, try and outsmart you every step of the way. There is no machine that can keep up with a cow with that mindset. And I don't think, you know, the market will ever invent one because, you know, there's not enough demand to justify someone investing all that, you know, bandwidth into coming up with a machine that that's that agile when you got a horse and you got a bunch of men and women that love doing it a horseback Mm -hmm. with being said, there have been some dramatic changes in the cowboy world. And so Boots, in an interview, I heard him, he said, someone asked him, and it might have been when we screened that film last, you know, what's the biggest change? He said the cell phone, mm-hmm. which kind of surprised me, although I get it. And he said, you know, it used to be like you just needed to know your place in a big pasture. and You just needed to know where the other guys were around you and you know, you need to make sure you kept an eye on the person to your right and your left and you didn't get in front of them or drop too far behind. And, you know, you need to sort of know the country he said, now you just pick up a phone and you call, them. you know, mm-hmm. oh, where are you at? How many do you have? You know, and and you can sort of coordinate like a big gather by cell phone. Uh, to me, you know, the bigger change has been the truck and trailer, which you referenced. Mm-hmm. But I was cowboying in the 70s and 80s. You know, there were obviously trucks and trailers, but they weren't an intimate part of like or they weren't a commonplace part of most of these big outfits. Like once in a blue moon, you'd load your horses in a trailer and go to the far side of the ranch and do something out there. Nine times out of 10, you trot it out in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. and your day would start with. Um, you know, a two hour trot to get to where you started working. And I loved it. It was my favorite 
part of the day because it was the one time that you could let your guard down a little, especially if mm. you were on a broken horse. And you just, you know, you're riding with a crew of 15 guys. You're at a high trot, you know, across big, beautiful, open country, and your mind could wander a little. Like it was just, and it was cool, and the horses were blowing, you know, steam out of their nose, and you could hear the spurs, the rows of the spurs. It's just magical, you, you know. See, you to enjoy the sunrise and yeah, all of that. Like, and I will say now, almost no one trots out. You know, it is they like it, it's reversed. You know, twenty percent of the time they'll trot out, eighty percent of the time they load their horses in a truck and trailer and it's absolutely at the expense of you know that trot in the morning the other thing that the wagon killed i mean that the trailer killed was the wagon mm -hmm. you know now instead of like they just trailer to the far side of the ranch instead of taking a wagon out there and setting up you know like on those big outfits you know you'd you'd typically camp about four days in a single spot and then you'd move and you may or may not move that far to your next spot. But, um, you know, when you were out at least four weeks, usually five, kind of moving every four days, you know, to get everything branded. The trailer killed it. You know, I mean, there's still a few wagons left. Um, you know, Arizona, as, as Greg Snow says in the film, you know, still have some meaningful wagons that stay out for a long time and with a real purpose. Most of them. You know, it's the ranch owners kind of just doing it for the sake of, you know, keeping the tradition alive. Um, like those to me. So the truck and trailer, because it had such a profound impact on two really important aspects of cowboying that morning trot out and the wagon. Like, I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen. But with that being said, like all those young buckaroos and those young cowboys on all those outfits, you know, from Texas all the way to northern Nevada and Montana, they're the same type of guys that were going to big outfits when I was doing it in 1975, you know, got the same wild hair. Some of them grew up on ranches. Some of them didn't, you know, some of them leave it after, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years of doing it and go into something else. Some of them stick with it. I don't know if there's any more or less. I bet there's no fewer of those kind of guys drifting around to these big outfits than there was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So like all the books, Last of a Breed, you know, The Dying Cowboy, I kind of like, they, you know, they were saying that in the 60s and 70s. Hell, Will James, you know, was writing about yeah. the demise of a big outfit drifting cowboy. And they're still out there. You know, they're still like, there's still a, bunch of them out there all those guys in the film you know every last one of them every guy in my book um you know are all those same drifting cowboys and they're the exact same type of guys that were in bank langmore's book and bill allard's book and kurt marcus's book and and even by the way some of the exact same guys like wade cooper and jack cooper and uh you know um some of them still at it not many but few yeah it's um it's it's a fascinating look back at it when you look at how i mean like the the beef boom of the 1860s and 70s you know that like just 
the the sheer amount of cattle that they had running wild in texas after after the civil war i mean it was just it was like the perfect explosion of just like you know market economy uh seeing a seeing a, a hole that needed filled and a whole bunch of men that needed a job after after the civil war and there was uh but not many of them like you said not many of them stuck with it it has always been a few that Too hard. yeah it's it is a tough it's job this is a tough way of life man it is amazing how few guys that i cowboyed with stuck with it till the end like you you know i caught up with a lot of them on facebook and uh Man, a lot of them went to work in the mines. Some of them became like ranch real estate brokers. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is not but a handful that stuck with big outfits till the end. You know, one of them, like one of the few I know, I mean, Boots, obviously, but mm -hmm. I didn't work with Boots when I was younger. You know, one of the only ones I know, and I know I'm missing some, but um, he was such a close friend and stuck with it is a guy named Wade Cooper. That's the buckaroo boss on part of the ZX ranch in mm -hmm. uh, Paisley, Oregon. You know, he and I, he was at Binion's my first summer I got there. So he was like one of the first working cowboys I ever saw in my life. Uh, you know, we're still friends to this day on my last big motorcycle ride. I, you know, just showed up at his house in Paisley. Uh, and it was great to catch up. It was on a Sunday, so I figured I'd catch him at home. Uh, and I did. Yeah, so it's... um. I mean, it is, yeah, it's hard to stick with. And obviously the pay and all of that is a tough deal. And, um, you know, how do you retire as a cowboy? And Gary Morton talks about that in the film, you know, how, how tough that is, as does Boots. Yeah. Uh, and Jim Brooks, you know, that legendary uh, big outfit cowboy from Montana. He was a hell of a bronc rider, Jim Brooks. But same deal, you know, Jim stuck with it till the end and then, you know, tried to kind of, you know, cobble together a life around horses in the meantime, doing workshops and, you know, singing in a cowboy band and all of that. And that's what happens to most of these guys. You know, they maybe they stick with the horse world, but they move off the big outfits like Brian Newbert, you know, mm -hmm. kind of horse trainer and uh, doing clinics and all that. Well, I mean, uh, oh, oh, Mitchell, oh, oh, example too. Went yeah, exactly. Outfit to being yeah. full-time cowboy poet and yeah. getting the cowboy on his terms, I guess. Yeah, but but you're no longer drawing a paycheck from the big outfits, you know. I mean, you get to go in and do it, and I put myself in that category, you know. Like, I'm not drawing a paycheck, and there's a whole different deal when you aren't drawing a paycheck, you know, and there's no. You know, you don't have the responsibility to get the job done and you can float in and float out to help them brand or, you know, show up and go out with a wagon for a week. You know, uh, it's just a lot different than those guys that draw a paycheck mm. till the very end. You know, it's a rare group of people because it's a damn hard way of life. I mean, you know, Boots O'Neill's, you know, breaking his femur yeah. as he's hitting 90. How many people are willing to do that? There's not... You know, you could count on one hand the number of men or women that are that kind of tough and committed to that to do it till the end. I get it. I'm, I didn't. You know, yeah. I left it. Well, it's just try, try to picture a, a, another 90-year-old even stepping on a horse on their own uh, accord. You know, like most of them are in a walker or a wheelchair at by 90 years old. And, no. <clears throat> and yeah, he uh, 
he said every now and then one of the the young bucks will uh will throw his saddle up there for him just uh he said uh they don't need to but i'm not going to tell them not to either so yeah right right and yeah. uh, no it's uh yeah. yeah it's sort of like you know you turn you hit 60 and you can still wrestle calves if you're at a place where they wrestle calves but if someone's like hey why don't you brand you know it's like yeah i'm happy to brand instead of wrestle calves, you know <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. I uh, listening to you talk on the, the the trot out in the morning. I agree. That's one of the the best uh, best feelings. Is uh, and, and you know I've been in the feedlot now for uh, what did I start oh nine. So coming up on like twelve thirteen years of uh, full time. You know in the feedlot cowboy and like shipping days are like that where you you trot out to i mean and you're not going for two hours before you get uh you know where you're going obviously but you're uh, you've got like the full morning ahead of just uh just loading and shipping cattle and it's all fast paced because those trucks are on a schedule and everybody's on a schedule and and the yeah like fall and and like spring early mornings when it's still just real crisp in the air just, yeah and your blood's pumping and uh and you're usually on a good horse because you want a good you got to get a job done yeah. and you, the yeah. shipping and weighing cattle is one of the ease that's it's a prime spot to get in a wreck because you're just cramming a bunch yeah. of cattle into a small space and uh yep yeah. So you want a good horse, Andrea. So you still you can you're on you're on edge a little bit, but you your horse knows what to do, and and you're just kind of you're just kind of in the zone. And it's uh, I, I love those those mornings like that. It's it's like you get a, a workout right right first thing, and it's uh and and you can still like as you're trotting to get the next pin, you can enjoy the sunrise a little bit too. And it's uh it's it just that's the one thing. I mean, that's like, there is romance to it. And again, you know, I didn't like, we didn't want to overdo the romance in the film or in the book, but you can't it's there. You can't discount it. Yeah, no, I mean, it is obviously what draws like anyone that's gone to the cowboy world that wasn't raised in it. They're drawn there by the romance. Mm -hmm. Now, most of them, like once the reality of what a hard way of life it is sets in, it drives the vast majority off. You know, but then there are those that like they like the hard bit as much as they like the romance. But, you know, like what draw what takes you there is this notion of the freedom of, you know, being out there and being a horseback and, you know, um, like just nothing but a day's work in front of you. And, you know, you finish one day's work. It seldom rolls over into the next day. You know, the only thing you ever worry about tomorrow is what horse might be up in your string and if it's one that's going to give you a hard time but one day ends and that's it and you know like you get an office job as a lawyer or whatever you know you work on projects that keep you anxious for three months and you're worrying about mm -hmm. stuff three months down the road mm -hmm. you know a cowboy it's like the day ends you go to you know you crawl into your bedroll with a clean mind it's just you know you aren't worried about Tomorrow, it just starts fresh every day. And I got to tell you, man, that is a wonderful way to live your life. Like they're like that to me is part of the romance in addition to the big open spaces and all of that, and, uh, you know, and being a horseback all day is a great deal. But it's just this, you know, life kind of one day at a time is it's you just can't overstate, 
you know, how good that is for the soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's, it, it really is. And it's, it's funny. I don't know how many times uh, some of my friends that, you know, either run their own ranches or, or just guys that are not, are not in the, in the cattle business at all. They'll ask me about the cattle market. And I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I do my, I, I go, I punch those, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't worry about the market. You know, like I, I'll hear about it here and there, but if you, if you ask me what live cattle were bringing that day, I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. Well, I those, are, yeah, those are the people that have to worry about the longer term stuff, like the ranch owners mm -hmm. and ranch managers. They don't get the, I'm talking about the working cow. Yep. You know, it's, um, Hey, do you mind if we take like a 20 second break? Yeah. I'm just I'm gonna run to the restaurant and come right back. That'll that'll work. We're uh, we're almost at an hour, so we'll call that for our the main show. So, um, uh, where can they find you on social media and find your work and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I'm on Facebook. You can just type my name in Instagram. I don't do too much. You know, I do more of my I put more effort into uh, Facebook, which is just my name, and then of course I have a website for my photography, johnlangmorephotos.com. And, you know, you can find the book Open Range on um, Amazon. And the film is also on uh, Amazon, Cowboys. You know, you just type in um, Cowboys, a documentary portrait, and you can find it and watch it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, John. We'll let him, uh, let, I'll let you go, but we'll... Uh... We're gonna come. Back. You want me to come back? Or? Yeah, we'll we'll come back and do do another twenty minutes if that's all right. Okay, yeah, sure. No, absolutely. I'm just. I'll be twenty seconds. All right. So uh, that's John Langmore. Everybody, uh, appreciate him coming on. If you'd like to hear the rest of this, go to Patreon.com/slash/BurningDaylight. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for listening. Now move your ass. We're burning daylight. I was broke in Wickenburg in the spring of 77. Things were lean for Buffalo and me. So I called up Harold Munson over Battle Mountain Way. The TS wagon was pulling out on the 15th day of was no stranger to the wagon Back when I was 21 The IL, the YP, and Circle A So I hopped my shoeing outfit We filled that Chevy's tank Gas was 50 cents a gallon
understand There were lots of good times too I would not change a single memory Like the time we tied old Blackie up In Cold Coyote Creek We were young and wild like the horses we rode The day stretched endlessly I Your teepee's like another nap time Though your bed ain't never dry It was nearly mid-November All the work was finally through And at fifteen below zero It all go wagon to TV.